0: Hello everybody, welcome one and all to the Fantastic Universes podcast.
1: Hi everyone, it's James here and today I'm joined by Max and Steve, we're three of the lead writers for the Fantastic Universes website. We're here recording our first ever podcast, so thank you for joining us and thanks for listening to us. How's it going guys? How how are you Max? What have you been up to lately?
2: I'm very well thanks James. Just enjoying life in general this week, really. Just been, sort of like most of the uh, nation, uh, enraptured by The Walking Dead. I trust Ooh. both you guys have seen the latest episode.
1: I have, yes.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I got the point.
2: Uh, yeah, well, along with about eight others, by the looks of yes. it. Um, oh. I thought it was fantastic.
0: <laughs> really you know,
2: good. It, it was. Really. It was fantastic. It was, although everyone who's read the comics, myself and you guys also, knew what was coming. I like the fact that they changed the line-up from the comic Big time uh, heads on the sticks, which is good because they have to do that because if they make it the same, then there's no point watching it if you've read the comics because you know exactly what's coming at every turn. So it's good that they do, de- although some things have happened absolutely verbatim from the comics, it's great that they, they mix it up and give you the same event but with different participants, If if that makes sense. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So it's been brilliant. And this last, um, this week's episode, absolutely fantastic. Especially the ending, very haunting, very sad. And, you know, I'm just, I'm sad that next week's the last one of the series. And yeah. I'm going to have to sort of live without it till the autumn time when it comes back. So I'm hoping that the next episode is leaves us with something big to tide us over for the next few months. What do you guys think?
0: Well, obviously, yeah, I love Walking Dead and everything about it. So do you not do Fear the Walking Dead as well then, Max?
2: No, uh, I watched about three or four episodes of the first season of it and it just didn't grab me and i know everyone who does watch it goes on about how brilliant it is and i know if i did invest the time and watch it i would really enjoy it i just can't find the time to fit it in it's one of those i think i'll probably just go back and watch it at some point um but i i do gather i'm missing out is that right
0: with well, the last season i think you'd get Called writing because that's when Morgan turns the cast. Yeah, of course. And he literally walks into the show directly from when he left Walking Dead, the main show. Yeah. And he's just genius. So give it another try, mate.
2: I may very well do that. Yeah, it it just didn't grab me, but I think that's because it was. Those first few episodes are sort of pre-outbreak, aren't they, or the very, very start of the outbreak? Yeah. Whereas it The Walking off. Dead starts right in the midst of it when Rick wakes up in his hotel uh, hotel hospital bed, so you don't get that slow build up; you're straight into it. So, but no, I, I I will give it a chance at some point. Yeah.
1: I was the same as you, Max, with fear. The Walking Dead up. I watched the first, I think, three or four episodes and it just didn't just didn't sink in for me. I didn't really enjoy it. I said to myself, I'll come back to it at some point, but I never did. But The Walking Dead this week was good, but I was disappointed with the people whose heads ended up on the spikes because I don't feel any real attachment to any of those characters. The comics was Ezekiel and uh, Rosita, wasn't it? And, you know, it was characters that you'd come to really enjoy reading about when I read that page and saw those images it really hits you whereas with the tv show none of those characters meant anything to me seven or eight of them I didn't even have any idea who they were and the characters that we did know who they were they weren't big characters that I was really bothered about losing not like when Abraham went When Glenn goes, characters like that, that's when it hits you. These characters didn't have much of an impact for me.
0: Okay, yeah, I see where you're getting from. In the comics, definitely, Ezekiel and others were massive. But I've loved Tara for years, and uh, I also really loved, um, oh, God, what's the, the girl's name? Enid. Enid, I I adored Enid. So, And Henry has been such a big deal, especially this this season. I was gutted because I knew, like you said, what was coming. Are we going to get heads on spikes? I'd also heard a rumour, I think you said this as well, James, when we were chatting earlier, that um, Ezekiel makes it. So I was thinking, well, who the bloody hell? But to see Tara there and to see Enid... And to see Henry, yeah, that that got to me.
2: They like the nice characters as well. Aren't yeah. They? Although I suppose everyone within that main group is considered a nice person, whatever that is. They're not stone cold killers, are they? Like yeah. people like Rick and Daryl, Carol, even you know they're nicer people. So it was they deserved it the least, I would say.
0: Yeah, exactly that.
1: Yeah, I think that's yeah. a fair point. It was characters that haven't done the things outside that, like you said, the likes of Rick and Daryl have done. I mean, we know what they did to the saviors. They snuck in and executed them. That's, that's, you know, as clear as it was. could see people like that with that characteristics that something like that might come to them. So these were characters that haven't had that kind of experience on the show. And, of you know, there was the old lady who was raising that. That young child now. So. Oh, yeah. Her husband must be gutted because they literally lost their son, then took in the baby, yeah.
0: and now he's lost his son and his wife. Oh, mate, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, the
2: blacksmith,
0: yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, and then we're going to train Henry as a blacksmith.
1: I know.
2: There'll be a lot of horses with oh, no shoes no, now. Oh, no, that's in
1: actually hunt, a lot deeper uh... than I actually originally thought what it'll be interesting to see if that's the angle they're going down are they now going to focus on well we've lost people with key skills are the settlements going to start to suffer because they can't produce because they're all doing their own bit you know one of them's doing food one of them's doing weapon they've lost the blacksmith are they now not going to be able to produce weapons and we're going to go down a whole different kind of almost back to the early days of we're struggling we don't know how to build and create so it'll be interesting to see where they go with it yeah
0: and the whisperers are effing scary she she makes the the governor and negan look like mickey mouse and pluto didn't she
1: yeah this is a whole other level of evilness. i think her portrayal on the show is actually a lot stronger than her character in the comics which is probably the first villain in in it that has been that way around because i think negan on the show was nowhere near as impactful as he was in the comics and he I don't was, think it was too young, cool and nice didn't he <laughs> yeah the whole thing with Negan was the, you know the way he speaks every word's a swear word he's so angry he's he's just rude and crude and awful and they didn't do that on the show and that was what made that character he just That's was on the show
0: bugbear with the walking dead tv show as opposed to the comic they made, to be honest because You can chop someone's head off, rip people in half, pull their guts out, and that's perfectly acceptable. But you can't get an F-bomb or see nudity or sex. What the hell? I don't quite understand that. But considering their standpoint, it's still a bloody good show, and uh, I love it.
1: It is. What have you What have you been watching then, Steve? Or what have you been reading lately?
0: Um, I do read a couple of indie comics. And I've got the latest installment of a series from Vault Comics called Wasted Space, number eight this week. And it's just, it, it turns sci-fi on its head because it's almost like poker religion. It's a poker politics. It's a poker conglomerates and multinational corporations and it's got a main character who you really shouldn't like at all because he's a bit of a dick who's got a partner stroke boyfriend stroke bodyguard who's a blue-skinned uh, robot and then they've got the preacher's daughter as a sidekick who is the sweetest loveliest human being in earth, and they are the most mismatched people in the world and they're on a quest to kill god and god in this universe Looks exactly like the main protagonist's favourite action figure when he was a kid. And that's about all I can say about it without spoiling any further. But it's sci-fi with a Western feel. It's like the illegitimate love child of Blade Runner and Monty Python, I think. It's just (laughs) great stuff. If you want to read a really original, different take on sci-fi with quirky artwork and brilliant writing and characters, yeah, Wasted Space is the one bought comics I, I think you guys would love it and i'm recommending it to every single person i meet and of course you can read the reviews on our fantastic universe's website as well
1: nice plug nice plug i'll add that to my what to my uh, read list which every it's time i speak great. to you steve seems to just get longer I'm and longer and longer
0: that. i'm sorry james what about you what, what you been up to this week mate
1: i've got to talk about supergirl oh yeah because it's just been such a turn around for the second half of this season a show that not everybody likes a lot of people like arrow and flash and legends and supergirl seems to be people's lesser favorite show but i like it but in the last few episodes and i know you've both seen it john cryer lex luther has arrived on the show and it's turned it round. it's arguably the best the show has been in four seasons The last couple of episodes to me with Lex Luthor have been two of the strongest episodes of all the shows across all the seasons. He's just turned up exactly as you want Lex to be. This sinister, conniving, menacing, brilliant, clever villain who no matter what is going on, He's always in control and he's ensuring that everyone around him is doing everything for him, even though they don't know it. It's just been great. It's, it's been two really good, well-written, well-delivered shows, episodes in the last couple of weeks that I had to say something about. Have you, have you watched it, Max? Have you seen it?
2: Only I'll be honest, I don't watch Supergirl. It's a show that I dip in and out of. You know, I'll watch a bit here and a bit there if there's something in there that has been told to buy someone to me that it's all, it's one you've got to see or there's something significant in it or it's part of the annual crossover something like that but I have seen most of the footage of these last two episodes and i have to say i'm very impressed because i thought he was a terrible choice when they announced that he was going to play luther but um eating my words um he's absolutely superb although i have seen i did see in an interview i don't know if it's true that he's actually only going to be in three episodes in total is that right oh, i hope not maybe I in three episodes this not. season if he, he's he's got yeah, that's, back next what, what, I, that's he's, what i mean yeah yeah brilliant so he's only got one more in theory to appear in this season and then that might be the last you see of him till till it comes back at the end of the year, who knows. Um, But I I read somewhere anyway, it might not be true, but I thought it was just a three-episode appearance that he'd signed on for for this season. Well, at
0: the end of the day, let's think back that Felicity Smoke was only meant to be in two episodes of Flash and now look at her. So on his performance alone, the amount of people he shut up and the amount of people whose attention he's grabbed, because he's... Great. Um, It would be a crime not to bring him back.
2: I think because it's been that universally acclaimed, there's absolutely no danger that they won't bring him back. I think it's a done deal, don't you?
1: I score. they've managed to stay away from Lex throughout the previous seasons they've mentioned him here and there Lena, his sister's a major character time has come where this season's had a couple of villains in it, Manchester Black and uh, Children of Liberty and Agent Liberty and they've been good strong performances but not villains that can carry a season mm-hmm. and there has been talks of ratings dip in and risks of the show getting cancelled and arrows coming to an end now so this is the right move for them right now to bring in bring in lex say next season he's going to be our big villain for the whole season and they'll get all their viewers back and hopefully carry on for a, a good good few more seasons Well safe, max what else you been up to
2: um i've been uh, reading immortal hulk the Marvel Comics title. I must admit, I'm not bang up to date with it because I've been reading it in trade paperback form, so I'm probably about four or five issues behind where it's up to currently, but it's absolutely blown me away. It really has. It's the Hulk's character that I haven't read his solo titles probably for at least 20, maybe 25 years since I was a kid. And it was Steve, actually, who said you should give this a read. So, Steve, it's all thanks to you.
0: I'm a bad influence.
2: Oh, you are indeed. Familiar. You're a bad, good influence, yeah. Um, but it's absolutely brilliant. It takes the Hulk back to his original roots, It's hor- the horror roots, the The night and day where he's banner during the day and, and the Hulk only comes out at night. Dark, it's adult, it's extremely gory and violent. It's definitely not one you should ever let your kids read, that's for sure. Oh, no. No chance. No chance in hell, as uh, Vince McMahon would say. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, But it's it's just got everything you would want to see in a Hulk uh, title. It's got the action, it's got banners with the struggle. You know, the, he wants to in effect die at times, but he can't. Similar to what the, I think there was a quote in the, one of the Avengers films, he said he put a bullet in his mouth, in his head, and the big guy spat it out. Something like that, Matt Ruffalo says in the Avengers. And it's that's kind of along those lines. The Hulk is literally, well, as the title says, immortal. He cannot die. There's scenes of, again, I won't spoil it for those who haven't read it, but there's just, there's scenes where the government separate him into different parts. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Steve? Mm-hmm. And it's quite jarring. It's very jarring to say the least. It's just grotesque, but it's it's absolutely brilliant. I, I really recommend it if you're looking for something to get your teeth into with a you know a really legendary long-standing character that's been around since forever and it's really reinvigorated that character i hope it's a title that that runs and runs and runs and you know doesn't have the axe swung over it brilliant brilliant read
0: can't argue without speaking to our friends at comic biz hello friends at comic biz yesterday and actually that's one of their fastest growing and biggest selling titles
2: oh, and good. it's lovely to see because it's super it is
1: indeed yeah
2: you'd like it james i'd uh i'd highly recommend it for you
1: yeah i read your review and uh, it did uh pert my interest i haven't read a marvel comic in quite a while it's something that is uh, again it's on my list the two of you keep making this <laughs> list grow and grow and grow and i need i need a couple of weeks to just lock myself away somewhere with no interruptions and get through this list and kind of come back to reality because yeah. I don't know how I'm ever going to read all these books I've got on my list to watch or to uh, read, I should say.
2: Anyone who's into comics
1: snap should always have a reading list as long as there are arm, I think. So come on, Steve, have you got something, something else to recommend for us to read?
0: Oh, um, definitely Wasted Space, Immortal Hulk. If you don't read it already, why not? You must read um, both Justice League Dark and Hawkman. Fantastic Four's come back strong if you're a Marvel fan as well. Avengers is always good so many comics so little time
1: have you have you watched anything lately steve anything catching your eye
0: i am a huge huge wrestling mark and it's almost time for wrestlemania and when you get news like the women are going to have the main event at wrestlemania that just makes me stand up and clap because right now uh, the women are absolutely killing it and back in the day, I don't know if you'll agree if, if and I know Max, you're a you're a wrestling fan. I used to fast forward the women's matches if they didn't involve Chris Stratus or Lita, because they were just like, What am I watching? This is a waste of my time. I just fast forward them. Now, um, the women's matches are on a par with, if not better than, a lot of the men's matches. And to see them get this spotlight, they got their own pay-per-view evolution a few months back, which was start to finish amazing and i'm a huge nxt fan as well and obviously wrestling your weekend you get the nxt pay-per-view as well so yeah catching up with my wrestling again so much great superhero tv walking dead wrestling comics writing i I almost don't have a life anymore but you know what i'm still smiling i'm happy give me more of the good stuff
1: there's one more show that i've been watching that i wanted to uh tell you guys about because i'm not sure if any of you like watch it Into the Badlands. Have you you seen it?
2: I haven't. No, I haven't actually. It's one that's, I I know what you're talking about, but it's just one that's passed me by just through not having enough hours in the day to watch everything.
1: I don't know whether it's because it's Amazon Prime, it doesn't quite get the media attention that Netflix gets, or I don't know what it is, but I never seem to find many people that watch this show, but those that do watch it absolutely love it because it it really is so unique for TV. It's it's a TV show that is based in a kind of not post-apocalyptic future, but a future, almost a dystopian future, where governments and organisations have disappeared. It's set in America, and it's been divided up into these different factions, and they're all ruled. There's, I think there's five of them in the first season, and they're all ruled by an individual baron. Something happened years gone by, and there's no, there's no guns. All guns have been removed from existence. So it's all samurai swords, knives, sticks... It's a true martial art program. which oh, That sounds
0: right up my street.
1: It's, it's insane how well this show comes together. It, the, the best way to describe it is Game of Thrones meets Crouching Tiger, Ooh. Hidden Dragon. That's the closest analogy I could come to because there's a lot of kind of politics involved with it. There's these different barons. They all want to rule different parts of the world. They're all constantly invading each other and fighting and having wars. And then they make pacts and treaties and they all double cross each other. So there's, a, there's, there's all that Game of Thrones type politics involved with it. But the fighting is out of this world. There's a, the main guy, Danny Wu, to me, needs to be Shang-Chi, should have been Iron Fist in the TV shows. He's that good. He's got a whole history of Chinese martial arts films. This was the first kind of western show that I can see on his IMDB page that he did and he's now like executive producer and I know he's involved with a lot of the choreography for the fight scenes but he's an unbelievable martial artist like almost like the modern day Jackie Chan type thing the rest of the cast are fantastic the show's created by Miller and Goff, the guys who did Smallville ah So we know that they can build characters. We know what they're like with uh, character development. I didn't realise they also write Spider-Man 2, one of my all-time favourite comic book movies. Still the best Spidey film. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And the the writing's on point, 100%. But the cast, a a lot of British... Actors, actresses in the cast, all unknown people going into the show. There's people, Emily Beecham, who I'm amazed she isn't a household name by now because not only is she absolutely beautiful, but she's kick ass proper. Her fight scenes are not what you'd expect from someone that looks like her. She's very, you know, very prim and proper, very attractive, very much like, let's get a body double to come and do my fight scenes. But when the first season came out, all of the cast were taken away and locked in locked in a room for like eight months, solid training. So they did all their own fight scenes. It really shows because the, uh, the 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 fighting is is like I said, nothing on TV compares to this. It's all there's a lot of high wire, like I said, crouching tiger style things, a lot of high wire type, unrealistic movements, but it, it's delivered so well. And Nick Frost's in it, who's hilarious.
0: How many seasons in is it, mate?
1: It's now the final season, season three. Um, It's only just been announced that this is the final season. They're on a mid-season break. It's come back now. It's just come back three episodes of the second half of this season, and they announced before this this was going to be the end of it. So I think there's eight episodes, and then that's it. It's done.
0: Well, that's a binge watch for me, then. If it's only going to be three seasons and it's that good, that's right up my street.
1: I've recommended it to people. I've never heard anyone turn around and say... I didn't like that. It was rubbish. Everyone I've recommended it to who's watched it has been like, this is amazing. It's, it's really good. And I, I, I think it's, it's potentially the cast are the next Walking Dead cast, the next Game of Thrones cast. When they finish their commitment to this, they're all going to start popping up in big Hollywood films. I can see it because there's, there's so much quality there.
0: So sit back, relax, and enjoy... A FANTASTIC FEATURE! Right, yes, it's our first ever fantastic feature. Everyone knows 2019 is a big year if you're a Batman fan, because this year marks the character's 80th anniversary. If I look that good at 80, I'm going to be a happy fella. Yeah, Batman's 80 years old. I've recently done a review for Detective Comics 1000, which you can read on the site and and across the internet. A few other sites have picked up my review as well. We're going to talk about the character in stages, the first 30 years, the next 30 years, and then the last 20 years leading up to today. And each of us has picked two of our highlight moments from each era. Who doesn't know Batman? The first human superhero, the first one who didn't have magical rings or come from an alien planet or got bathed in toxic radiation or bitten by... By a radioactive anteater. He's just a dude who's trained himself to be the best he can possibly be. Great mind as a detective, great physique, great fighting skills. He can get beat. So when you read his comic, he gets beaten down. You do fear that, yeah, this could be the last time we see him. He's had his back broken. He's been broken down mentally and physically. But the thing with Batman is, unless you kill him, he's going to get right back up and keep on fighting. And that, to me, is why he's my favourite book character of all time so yeah we've each got two key moments in his life from not just the comics we're going to go back through his tv appearances his movie appearances so we'll start off with the first 30 years he appeared in 1939 james so what's your picks for the first 30 years of the dark Knight, mate
1: i can't recollect reading a whole great deal amount of comics from that Period. To me, the first thing that comes to mind is it has to be 1940, the introduction of Dick Grayson as Robin, because where would Batman be without his sidekick, eh? The first ever? Yep, first ever sidekick. First ever version of Robin. A character who has just grown and grown and grown and is probably, in my opinion, the only sidekick in all of comics that has genuinely grown into his own standalone character. Dick Grayson as Nightwing now. He stands on his own two feet. He stands shoulder to shoulder with Batman, with Green Lantern, with Superman. He is now the main man in his own little world. He's not just the sidekick, the boy wonder next to Batman. It all started back in nineteen forty when he adopted this young whippersnapper and <laughs> became his friend, became his son, essentially. And the the, the the character of Robin has gone on to introduce us to, I suppose, four official Robins with other different incarnations over the years who have donned the suit for official Robins. But Dick Grayson as a character has been one of my favourites over the years, currently reading his Nightwing run, which I think is brilliant. That has to be my first standout moment in the first 30 years for Batman.
2: He's one of the few comic book characters as well that's actually been allowed to age because most comic book characters are like preserved in time. They're at a certain age and they don't get any older. Whereas he actually did age from a boy to a man. And it's very quite rare. You don't really see that.
0: It's only taken him 80 years from go from being 12 years old to being 23 years old, So, but the rest are yeah. stuck at 35 forever, isn't they? <laughs> exactly,
2: exactly. <laughs> you know, you, you see them, they get introduced at whatever age they are, and then they stay that age over the their lifespan of that character being published, whereas this is one of, I'm sure, Steve, you, you might know of anyone else that applies to it, but it's one of the few characters I can think of that actually did exactly. age. Spidey
0: to an extent, but nowhere near as much, because he's still only, like six, seven years older than he was when he first appeared, so...
2: Yeah, you're right, actually, yeah, Spider... I completely forgot about Spider-Man, yeah, of course, yeah.
1: Went from a yeah, high yeah. school
2: student to a to a man, yeah, of course.
1: So what was your second pick then, James? A few years after this, it's another introduction of a character. It's Alfred, the butler, the friend, the carer, the parent, the estate manager. He is... So integral to not just Batman's character, but Bruce Wayne. He's always been there for him. Some people might say (laughs) Alfred's Bruce's moral compass. I'm not entirely sure about that. I think we know where Bruce's morals lie. But I think Alfred has been there to always keep Bruce on track and prevent him from going that step too far. And he's first and foremost is he's looking after the Waynes. The rest of them are all long gone, but he's looking after Bruce and he's looking after the legacy of what is the Wayne family. He, you know, he looks after the Wayne Manor, which may get destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt, but he does his best to keep his eye on it and he keeps <laughs> Bruce's secret. And he's had some really fun stories over the years. There's been lots of odd little bits and pieces. And I, I can't for the life of me remember which, which book it was in. But I remember him punching Slade Wilson in the face in, oh, in some particular series. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't expect that from uh, from Alfred. And I think he's had odd adventures where he killed a predator at one point in some bizarre alternate world book crossover with Predator and fought Superman. He's just a character that's that's always been there along along with Bruce, by his side, looking after him. Because Bruce is such a serious character, Alfred is there as not As the comedy relief, but he is just gives you that little bit of freshness here and there where it's not all dark, it's not all doom and gloom. And we see that more throughout the years in the TV shows and in the films, particularly if you think about Michael Caine in the Nolan films, some nice little one liners in there, in the Snyder films with Jeremy Irons. They're the only moments in the film that you really laugh. Is when Alfred's there when he makes little comments about Bruce not having children and things like that. He's doing that while he's building some new voice replicator for the Batsuit or he's fixing the armour on the Batmobile. He's a he's a brilliant character that's not just there in the background and is so key to Bruce and Batman's existence. Here, yeah, yeah, here, mate.
0: Max, your thoughts on Alfred, mate?
1: Like James said, what is
2: Batman without Alfred? He is as every bit as important to the dc universe as bruce wayne slash batman without him batman would have died countless times he would have collapsed under the weight of his mission he would have not had a good hot meal at the end of the day as well for a start <laughs> probably,
1: probably would have died
2: of malnutrition if nothing else he needs um,
1: lots firmador
2: exactly oh, yes. exactly you know he's thrown he's booked a a ride home for many a discarded woman the morning after or something like that, you know, a very discreet man. There is no Batman without Alfred. He, he is one of the main characters in that whole franchise, that whole world. There's no replacing him. It's absolutely major, major character that will never be... There'll never be another one like him. There'll never be another character that has someone who's not a sidekick, not a a partner as such, someone who is literally alongside him in another way. They'll never be, or to my knowledge, never has been, anyone who's had a character alongside them like that.
0: Alfred is, his acerbic wit, his quintessential Britishness, his stiff upper lip, his actor training, his medical training, his SAS badassness in more recent years. There would be no Batman without Alfred Pennyworth. So, yeah, great choice. So, Max, which two events or characters did you think were your standouts for the first 30 years, mate?
2: Okay, well, the first one, 1940, Batman issue number one the first appearance of the Joker. There isn't any other villain in in any media, not just comics, in any media, That this is my opinion anyway, other people might disagree, you two might disagree, but I don't think there's another villainous character that's that recognisable and that iconic where you don't even have to have ever watched a Batman TV show or film, ever opened a page on a Batman comic to know who he is. I would say that everyone from, you know, I've got a four-year-old son, he knows, he knows who the Joker is. My late grandfather would have known who the Joker was, you know, 90 years old. That character is just ingrained into popular culture in every way. What is truly bizarre about it is that when they actually did bring him in, which is something I found about out about a couple of days ago, actually, I was just doing a bit of reading for this uh, recording, is that when they brought him in for this Uh, first appearance he was originally slated to die at the same time so imagine that imagine if they'd have gone through with that and killed him off at the same time as bringing him in you would not have had the last 79 years worth of of joker stories that we've had i mean can you imagine that
0: there's no like you say there's no batman without alfred honestly there's no batman without joker because he is the chaos to batman's order
2: exactly I mean, you know, the fact that they're actually, there's a film, a Joker film coming out later this year. I mean, what other villain character gets their own film? You know, it's very, very few and far between. It's going to be a blockbuster, there's no doubt about it. But I can't think of any other, you could could pluck any villain from any franchise you want and say, oh, well, we'll give them their own standalone film. Well, I just don't think, anyone would be that bothered, to be honest with you. You know, you make a joke of it when everyone immediately goes, ooh, you know, I can't wait to see that. See what the kind of interpretation they're going to get this time against all the other ones that have been done over the years since, you know, Cesar Romero in the 60s up to... With his Washington moustache. Leto. Yeah, yeah, with his uh, painted-over tash. yeah. Which I'll be getting to in a minute on my second choice. It's just a character that, again, it sounds like something I said before. But it'll never be, it'll never be replicated. Similar to what with the Alfred character, there'll never be another character like that. There'll never be another villainous character that is a household name. You know, you can look at all your Marvel films, your Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Absolute blockbusters around the world you know they are they are without doubt the biggest films out there but are the villain villain characters in that household names to everyone even those no. who have never even watched the film they're not they're not at all
1: my mum my doesn't know who Thanos is my mum's never heard of any of the Marvel villains but she exactly. knows who the Joker is I think I exactly. agree with what you're saying Max I think the, on, the only villain that I could ever compare him to is Darth Vader it yeah possibly... I'll
2: give yeah I'll give you that I'll give you that. He hasn't been around around for 80 years. He has been around twice as long as Vader, though.
1: I didn't know that. Like I said, when the Joker came on, he, he was planned to die. It's scary to think if they had have done that. Would Batman have been as successful as he's been over the last 80 years? Because a lot of the major popularity, major successful parts of Batman have always involved the Joker. From the books, The Killing Joke, award-winning, one of the most popular books, comic books, graphic novels out there is focused on the Joker. When you look at the films, the ones that people like the most, 89, Batman with Jack Nicholson, Nolan, Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, they're all because of the Joker. If you didn't have the Joker for the last eight years, it would be a very different Batman world. I think we'd be living in. The Joker seems to be some a character that that's
0: really just grabbed onto people's minds and imaginations. And he's had his own comic series. And every time the Joker appears in a Batman comic, even though he might vanish for a couple of years at a time, when he comes back, it's an event. It's a yeah. death in the family. It's an end game. It's a st- where he will take over and the Joker will be the villain for up to a year for, for runs of issue upon issue upon issue yeah. other villains Batman off fight him for two or three issues then they'll go again for a few years with this Joker I'm glad they've taken that because there was a period in the 90s where he was after the first Batman movie with by Tim Burton, where he was almost overused. And now, when the Joker turns up, you know something big, something major is going to happen. And if he'd have died in the first issue, would, would Batman be the number one most popular comics character in the world? without that villain, that dark mirror image of himself to fight against. I mean, even, are you guys reading uh, The Batman Who Laughs? Yeah. Yes. Batman's worst fear is himself becoming the Joker, and that's more or less exactly what The Batman Who Laughs is. So, brilliant choices, mate. What's your number two then, Max? Number two is the
2: 1966 live-action Batman TV show, as starring Adam West and Burt Ward. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, great choice Max
2: yeah I mean this show for me this was in many ways it was my sort of gateway into Batman if you will when I was I don't even know how old I was 5 or 6, 7 maybe something like that they reran it every Saturday and Sunday morning as part of the Wide Awake Club on Children's ITV on a Saturday and Sunday yeah, morning yeah Wide Awake yeah that's the one with um, Tommy Boyd and Timmy Mallet and all those idiots um, <laughs>
1: but That's a polite way
2: of putting it <laughs> It is, especially when it comes to Mallet But what, because it was always two part episodes They used to have the first part on the Saturday And then the second part on the Sunday So obviously as a young kid That would, that would hook you in Because at the end of the first episode Batman and Robin would be tied upside down Being lowered into a vat of boiling acid And then you'd have to wait literally a whole 24 hours To see how they get out of it but everything about that show even now obviously people go well it's not a true batman if you want because you know where the character's gone since but where the character had been up to that point you know if you take away all the humor and the slapstick and the double entendres it was a reflection of why they'd done with the character up to that point i think you know um and everything about it was just captivating and still is that nelson riddle score camera angle the dutch tilt camera angle where everything's on this on the sl- on the slant the fight scenes with the pow and the zap and the crash every time someone gets a bat fist in the face just everything about it even now it, it stands up you know the chemistry between adam west and burt ward um you could see how you know they really were friends on and off the set the iconic portrayal of all the rogues gallery that are still held holds up today you know and the actors that they've got in there burgess meredith caesar romero vincent price people like that joan collins jar jar gabor star-studded stuff and you know you can watch it even now if you have a spare 25 minutes bang an episode on and you'll love it it's one you know 50 years on it's still revered as much as it was at its height, Batmania in the late 60s and I think 50 years from now it will be again.
1: Yeah I agree Max it's a, it's a great series and it's absolutely perfect for its time that it was created and let's not forget it wasn't a huge budget, it wasn't a big budget TV even for them days when you do any any kind of research into it or if you read any any articles about people that were involved with the show a lot of the props were made by people volunteering and I think Batman's belt in the first series was series was sponges, soap you know, dish sponges taped to a belt. There was no real cost that went into it. It was for me the same as you, Max. It was my introduction to Batman. Early morning TV on the weekends. That was where I used to see it, and that was what got me to originally fall in love with the character and everything about Batman.
0: Can't argue with any of that. Yeah, but you guys are lucky because your wide awake club. You could see part two the next day. I had to wait a week. Oh. And, and back when. Back when I were a lad, if you missed episode two, there was no repeats. Um, You (laughs) missed it. You you just, that's it. You just had to watch the first part of the next adventure. No VHS or video recorders back in those days. And uh, again, that's, that's what hooked me in. Seeing Batman caught in a trap, he couldn't possibly get out of even though you knew he would you didn't know how and those cliffhangers and that that's the whole comic book feel of it and like i say even though batman started dark in thirty-nine, forty, and he'd fight monsters and vampires and werewolves and crime in the night uh when the whole censorship came in and dr Wortham and trying to stop batman comics because um it was highly suspect that a grown man lived with a young boy and stuff like that and that whole camp era of batman was brought in it mirrored the tv show because they had to do something different with the character but the beauty part of batman is he can be whatever you imagine him to be each version of batman works in its own way is a product of its own time and it's magic and i fell in love with that batman i fell in love with the dick sprang era batman which was the same kind of guy and the multicolored costumes and fighting alien invaders and stuff like that which the brave and the bold cartoon did so well recently as a tribute yeah. to that era and then all of a sudden some american cousins came over with a american comic book from the 70s and all of a sudden i found out that he drifted as a bat to scare evildoers and how he became batman in the first place and then i got into the other darker batman but both to me equally valid both to me are loved that's why batman is such a versatile character who can who can do anything so another fantastic choice max mate brilliant
2: thank you very much so what are your selections steve oh it's gonna
0: be hard to top your four guys thanks for that appreciate it (laughs) um again i've had to go back to the beginning and where it all started detective 27 1939 dated may but was released in march at least that's what most historians have figured out which is why we're celebrating it this month and that's why detective 1000 came out and that first story i've got so much love for it because right from the start you've got bruce wayne commissioner gordon and batman no alfred yet and you don't find out that batman's bruce wayne until near the end of the story but literally it's a detective story told over like 10 or so pages from the beginning because it was detective comics this was a detective who dresses a bat who went out at night and was secretly in real life a rich playboy You didn't get his origin for months and months and months after that already i can see why people in the late 30s early 40s were hooked on the character because he had the pulp noir feel of a bogart or or one of those classic gumshoe detectives or the spider or the shadow from the pulp crime um, magazines of its time. And he was just different. And though he was created before Superman, he wasn't published till after. And I've got to thank Superman, the Man of Steel, Jerry Siegel, Joe Shuster for creating Superman because his success led the way for the creation of Batman. And what what would my life be without Batman? I mean, the site I'm editor in chief for is a Batman-related site. I review Batman-related titles. I'm, I'm mad on Batman, whether it be Adam West or Michael Keaton or Christian Bale, all of them. I love them all. So I had to go back to where the boy first appeared.
1: I, I, I agree. We wouldn't be sat here tonight if it wasn't for that issue. So uh, it's uh, well worth bringing up. And it's quite—it's quite a good read actually, considering how old it is. It's a nice right? little, uh, nice little tale. Have you read it, Max?
2: I have indeed, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sets the table for everything that's come after it. And that story that it tells has been told time and time again in all different formats, all different mediums, will be being told another 80 years from now, never mind one eighty set of 80 years. There'll be 160 years and 240 years and et cetera, et cetera. That literally is just set something in motion that will never end, in my opinion. Because,
0: again, this guy was around long before we were, and fingers crossed he'll be around a lot long after we've uh, departed this mortal coil. So there Definitely. you go.
1: What was your second choice then, Steve?
0: Oh, it's funny that Max picked the Joker because I've also gone back to Batman number one as well but this for me is for the complete opposite of the Joker rather than Batman's greatest enemy his greatest love uh Selina Kyle Catwoman she made her first appearance in that very same issue Batman number one had the first Joker story and the first Catwoman story. I've picked this one because of what Tom King's doing in the current Batman run, where when he took over the the book at the beginning of the DC Rebirth, he said that he was aiming to do a hundred issue art, which at its core would focus around the relationship between Batman and Catwoman, Selina Kyle and Bruce Wayne. It's funny to me that halfway through when the wedding went, screw if for want of a better of a word everyone lost their mind i mean i knew that was coming and i don't know if you've heard any other podcasts i've done or or have seen any of the media or, or any of the reviews for the show but a lot of people who've been around with the character for years and years and years and you said well yeah that is what's gonna happen he's not gonna suddenly get his joy and his happiness straight away like anything with batman he's gonna get knocked down and get back up again and a mate of mine seth um if you're listening hi seth said i didn't quite get this until he said it because it's brilliant it's genius he said that what comedy romance or what film do you see where the guy gets the girl in the first half of the film he's gonna lose her first and then he gets her at the end and that's what makes the whole journey fantastic and in this first appearance the beautiful thing that tom king's done in the current run is he's gone right back and like grant morrison did he's taken these old stories which shouldn't really work anymore but he's done his magic and made them fit perfectly with the Batman of today. And again, people are saying, well how come Catwoman remembers their meeting one way and Batman remembers them meeting another? Is Tom King just saying that they're not compatible or or is he not knowing what he's talking about? Or is this the whole parallel world and things not working? To me, it's much simpler than that. To me, Catwoman is remembering Batman Year One, where Selena met Bruce Wayne for the first time. Because she, even though she's Catwoman, sees herself as Selena Kyle, he though he's Batman, she sees him as Bruce Wayne, the man that she loves. Whereas Batman remembers the first time Batman met Catwoman, because to himself, Bruce Wayne is the figment of the imagination. His real self is Batman. He is Batman in his own eyes. So he remembers the first time the crime fighter met the villainess, the cat burglar. That to me, it's, it's that simple. It's how they see each other. And when they both learn to look at each other through their own eyes, and there was that whole love letter with... First thing I noticed was your eyes. That's what Tom King, for me at least, I might be reading it completely the wrong way, but the way I'm seeing it is he's getting these two characters to not look at each other through the way they see their partner but how they see each other and that's how it's all going to tie in i think or oh, that's the way i see it so to me catwoman like robin like alfred like the commissioner appeared in batman of one just a, just a short few months after the batman's first appearance and she's still around causing trouble and breaking hearts so that's the first 30 years handled now the next 30 years obviously big anniversaries and important events happening So let's talk about Batman from 69 onwards for the next 30 years. So, James, what did you pick for your two events?
1: The first event I've got to pick, and I think people would shout at us if we didn't have this, was the release of The Dark Knight Returns. Absolute pinnacle of graphic novels in the history of comic books. One of the, if not the greatest book, in my opinion. It was not just a great book, but it was the book that introduced me to Batman as an adult. I grew up, I liked Batman, I watched the cartoons, I liked the TV series, I read some books and some comics, but when you grow up in rural Norfolk you don't really have a comic book shop on your corner. I didn't get a great deal of comics to read other than the big annuals at Christmas time where you'd get the odd jovial adventure. When I was more an adult, I remember uh, taking it out of the library and reading it from there. Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller, absolute classic. It was just a book that told me actually, Batman isn't just for kids. Batman is a book for everybody of all ages. Completely and utterly sparked my love for Batman and my love of comics and pop culture. All came from this when I read this. And I, I don't know how old I was when I read it. It must have been about fourteen, fifteen. So it had been out. For quite a while by then, I was born in 83, so it had been around a while, but I didn't read it until that time.
2: Amen to that. I mean, although I haven't picked it as one of my selections, me too, James. That is, in some ways, it's a cliche to say it, but it is my favourite graphic novel of all time, too. It's an absolute masterpiece from front to back, as I'm sure you'd agree, Steve. Well, it
0: led to so much. The fact that you finally saw Batman as a mortal, he could age and you saw the end of his career or so we thought at the time and seeing him pitted against superman as a baddie which led to batman versus superman and so much of that film is ripped out of the pages of that comic and seeing the love-hate relationship with the joker cracking choice james brilliant so what was your number two for that era then mate uh number two was
1: 1992 the release of batman the animated series yes Oh, oh yes We could sit here and talk about this for hours, but it is just such a wonderful cartoon that was not intended to be entirely for kids. It's a cartoon that was enjoyed by all ages and still is today. You can pick it up now on Blu-ray and anyone from all ages can watch this show. But I loved it as a kid because what it did was it introduced me to the world of Batman, not just Batman, not what I'd seen on the TV series from 66, the full world of it wasn't just the Joker or the Riddler or the Penguin. There was all these different characters, all these different villains It introduced me to Mr. Freeze and it introduced me to all these different people that I'd never seen and never heard of before and every episode was brilliant. They were self-contained great little stories the voice cast, Kevin Conroy Mark Hamill is just legendary to this day that continued through into the computer games that I loved the Arkham games with their voices just a brilliant TV series that will be loved for many many years And who could argue with that?
2: Certainly not me, certainly not me in fact I've been just been Currently re-watching it myself, part of the box set. It's, like James says, it holds up brilliantly. It's so well written. The scripts are movie quality scripts, never mind episodic cartoon scripts. Everything about it is top notch. And it's certainly, although it's a cartoon, I could happily sit and watch it with my youngest. You can watch it as an adult, get everything you need out of it. It's absolutely brilliant.
0: And when you think of, like you said, James... Conroy and Hamill when I read comics to my son as a kid it's Conroy's Batman and Bruce Wayne's voice that I use and that's the one I still have in my head when I pick up a Batman comic to this day and it's just one of life's most hilarious things that Mark Hamill if you take the M off Mark and the Il off Hamill his name's Arkham. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> meant to be. It appeals to everybody. A kid can watch it and just watch a fun adventure, but adults watching it will pick up all the references to the comics. It's as close to perfect the TV show as it's ever been made. So, that's the middle era for you. What about you, Max?
2: Well, again, I've picked two, like everyone else. Uh, the first one is one of, I would say top five maybe or higher even than top five um comic book story arcs that there's ever been one that lasted over a year well over a year if i'm not mistaken and that's the nightfall saga oh yes and the influence that this has had it can't be overstated complete lifts from it in the dark knight rises film in the current tom king run with the sort of slow-burning plot of Bane to break the bat, the kind of going over that ground again now. It's drawing back on stuff from this, not in terms of the direct storyline, but the general theme of it. It can't be overstated how significant it is. I can't break down the plot in the time we've got for such a labyrinthine story. The way you get to see the full um, origin of Bane, his slow-burning plot to break Batman down to these very core leaving him as easy pickings for him to come in and just decimate so many iconic moments in this storyline none more so than the back getting his back broken by bane which has been redone in so many different ways spoof ways serious ways you get to see batman beaten for once actually beaten doesn't get the better of the villain he's done he's he's a paraplegic he's in a wheelchair he quits being Batman because he can't physically do it and it's a long road back to recovery for him Jean-Paul Valley as rail takes over the cowl and crosses the line leading Batman Bruce Wayne should I say to have to eventually rehab himself doing the whole odyssey to Europe to get that coming back reclaiming the cowl it's just a long, long story and it has so many spin off parts to it. Very rare you get writing like that now, where something's done over so long a period of time. Things tend to be short to burst. But it's—I oh, it's, can't even begin to do it justice. Surely it must be one of you guys' favourites.
1: This is the series where Azrael takes over as Batman, isn't it? Correct. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that I remember from this was because there was a lot of contention because Dick Grayson was Nightwing at this point, and who was Robin? It, it wasn't Jason Todd. It was Tim yeah. Drake, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think he suggested that Dick Grayson should have taken over as Batman, and Batman didn't want him to, <laughs> and he wanted Azrael, and it was yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a good. Story from what I remember. Like I said, I haven't read it in a while, but I I did enjoy that.
2: Right, so it's one you can just go back to at any point. You know, it's a real page turner as well. It's just that. You know what's coming and you know Batman's days are numbered, Bane's coming for him and it's the way he let, he's laid out his plot to just break him down and put all the villains out there for him to deal with in one fell swoop so he's got nothing left at the end. Genius storytelling in my opinion.
0: It's great because it was set in a time when Bruce and Dick were still at a bit of loggerheads, they weren't seeing eye to eye. So the whole thing of, of, of Dick not taking over when you really should have made sense at the time and... They brought in Azrael, who seemed to be every bit Batman's equal physically, but his conditioning as an assassin was his downfall. And the beauty of Bane was he was every bit Batman's equal physically, but also one of the few villains who was his equal mentally as well. And that's what made that whole story just brilliant.
2: My second one then, this is just a bit of a change of tack, really. It's not actually Batman story per se. There's a moment in there that just, for me, just sums up the character. This is JLA, Justice League of America from 97, Grant Morrison. This is when they, in effect, brought, Back after years of not really putting the focus on the Justice League and having all the big hitters in there, they brought them all back here. And then, something like they're the classic seven, if you will Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Martian Man Hunter. All the biggest, the best of the best, the biggest of the biggest, all together again, getting the major push again. And in that first few issues that he did, there was a um, the part in that where the whole team are literally decimated by a group of um, white Martians. They're all gone. Superman is down, Wonder Woman, they're all helpless. They can't best them. And basically, Batman's the last man standing. He has to on his own, take down the White Martians and rescue the rest of the Justice League in the JLA HQ, you know, space. And there's a line in there where it's known to the White Martians and to the JLA that Batman's basically coming. He's coming for them. He's there, and they're they're going to stand in his way, they're going to go down. And one of the White Martians makes, I can't remember now, he makes some comment about, well, what is he? What can this man do? Who is this man? What can he do? And Superman says to the White Martian, he says, this is the most dangerous person or dangerous man on Earth. And to me, that just sums up what Batman is. If you think about it, he's, like you said at the the top of the show, Steve, he's just a man. He has no superpowers. He has no magical abilities. He's just a man. He, as part of the Justice League, stands next to gods, if you will, um, modern day gods, and not only stands shoulder to shoulder with them, but actually leads them, and they're all afraid of
1: him? Well, as much as a Grant Morrison fan I am, I've never read this. So I I will just say, Steve?
0: Try and pick this one up, James, because it it is a corker. The fact that it's Superman who turns around and says that Batman is the most dangerous man in the world. Because what he does is, from the beginning, there's little hints from the first page that they're Martians. You don't find that out until near the end of the story. They've just appeared as superheroes who've escaped a world that's been destroyed and they have come to save Earth. And they do so many great things but it's literally a slow burn for them to try and take over but Batman's slowly worked out what they really are and knowing what they are they're martians he knows their weakness and while they take out all the superpowered members of the JLA, thinking that they're the, they're the they're the threats along comes mr normal human guy and takes them out one by one by one and like i said that moment where superman says the most dangerous man in the world is is one of my two favorite moments from that story the other one is where batman is surrounded by a ton of superpowered martians and he likes to ring a fire around them and he says right <sighs> cracks his knuckles and said who wants to get beaten down first <laughs> Classic, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Go on then Steve, tell us your two picks from that middle period
0: Hard acts to follow But with Max talking about Batman the Animated Series I'd be remiss if I didn't pick the first Tim Burton Batman movie Batman 89 with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson Because so we talked about Batman the Animated Series We talked about Mark Hamill And the first Joker since... Cesar Romero and his moustache was Jack Nicholson's, who's recently, I don't know if you've seen it online, been voted one of the greatest movie villains of all time. And that's, well said. yeah, 30 years later. And what can I say about this film? Because this to many was a real eye-opener because in the public consciousness for people who didn't read comics, Batman was always Adam West. So when Tim Burton made this film... And this character was crashing through skylights with a billowing black cape and fighting crime at night and being a figure of fear. It was really like, what the hell am I watching? This isn't the Batman I grew up with. But back then, people accepted it and embraced it, where it's a bit sad they didn't do with a darker Superman of Man of Steel, who wasn't honestly that dark. He was a reflection of the time and the comics of today. So... Why have audiences changed so much? And now they want to reminisce and go back to the good old days. And back then they accepted Keaton over West when they couldn't be more different. But that film's legacy is incredible. That changed the way people saw Batman in the public consciousness, not just for readers. So I had to have that as one of my picks.
2: Great pick as well. Do you remember how much that year as well, Batman merchandise was everywhere. Do you remember how big that was? And I don't think it's ever been that big since for a superhero film.
0: Well, it changed the game.
2: Yeah. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing a Batman logo on on something.
0: It was like the 60s revisited because a lot of people have said, and it's a famous historical quote, that the 60s was about the three Bs, the Beatles, Bond, and Batman. Yeah. Nineteen eighty nine was the year of the Bat. There's no no denying it. And like I said, no no year has probably come close since. This year might might be on a level, but with no big movie, that's that's gonna be its one slight drawback
1: i think with the merchandise and like you were saying max i remember having figures i mean when this came out i was only six so i certainly didn't see it when it first came out because i think this was a 15 when it was released wasn't it it was a it was a 12 and it was the was first it, 12, it was, was it?
2: the first uk 12 these before 12 a's where you could go with a with an adult it was just 12 if you were under 12 you couldn't go and it was the first uk uh, 12.
1: But I remember I remember having toys. I remember having Batman figures. And they may have been from this. They may have been from Returns, but certainly from that era. But the good thing with 89, Batman, Tim Burton, from what I can only assume had the majority of control the um, merchandising came off the back of what he what he made whereas as you watch the films progress particularly towards batman and robin it had completely reversed and it was almost like this is the merchandise we want to produce now put that into your film but 89 was a, was a quality film. It's a film I wish I could see in the cinema. I've seen events around the country where they have it on the big screen, but never around where I live. I'd love to see that film on the big screen.
0: I went to see it several times because you might have been, what, five, did you say?
1: Five or six, yeah.
0: I was nearly 20, so uh, it's a big, 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 big difference for us. But, yeah, it made a mark, and it's still one of my favourites to this day.
1: Yeah, it holds up really well because it's 30 years old.
0: <sighs> Not off. There's iconic
1: shots in that film that still carry through to films today. If you remember um, Spider-Man, the Spider-Man film where Keaton is the vulture, there's a scene that is completely and utterly just ripped from that as a a kind of nod to Keaton as Batman, where he flies up with the wings, which is just a complete rip of him dropping down with the wings in that film. And they've, they've copied that scene in every Batman film ever since. And
0: it's straight out of the comics as well.
1: So what was your second choice, Steve?
0: I had to... Again, I went on a little bit of a tangent like Max did with the Justice League because even though it's not specifically Batman, it's vital. And I went with Dick Grayson becoming Nightwing because that ties in so much with the introduction of Jason Todd and his death at the hands of the Joker. It then ties in with the killing Joke and the Joker crippling Barbara Gordon and creating the character called Oracle. So I had to pick on the growth of Batman's family and the changes. And like you said, the way they did grow, the way you saw Dick Grayson, one of only two real characters in the history of comics, to actually age in a discernible way and go from being a sidekick to not having a comic's identity at all, just being Dick Grayson until he took on the role of Nightwing. These characters, to me, are just tied into each other. The Bat family, for a man who purports to be alone and says he's not a team player, Batman's got more family than just about any other character out there. And to me, that's his heart and soul. And I said it in my review for Detective 1000 that he became Batman because he lost his family. He spent the rest of his life trying to build a new one and that to me is what that character's about so I had to pick on dick and jason and then later tim the most underrated robin of all and now obviously damien who's batman's actual physical flesh and blood son and that ties in with your pick of robin from batman number one he's every bit as vital to the history and the mythos of batman as batman himself so long may robin Robins, all of them and then your signals and your spoilers and your azraels and your orphans and your batwomans uh may live forever
1: like you said my My original pick in the first was was the introduction of Robin. So this is all tied into that. So I, I don't need to go much more over how much I love Robin and how much I love Dick Grayson. And becoming Nightwing was a great arc. And I think he's become such a better character in everything that he's done as Nightwing.
0: Right, which leads me to the last 20 years. We've got two more each. So, James, what did you pick for the last 20 years?
1: Well, when we're talking about the last 20 years of Batman, what we are looking at is virtually reincarnations of everything that's been built over the previous 60 years that we've talked about. Different versions, different remakes. So I'm going to have to go with, and it's a bit of a cheat because my first thing is free is the Nolan trilogy movies. Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises.
0: That's not a cheat, mate, because honestly, they're one story.
1: They are, and they are essentially telling stories that we've had from previous years for a modern-day audience, and I think that's the key thing for for this. Batman Begins was my first vision, my first time seeing Batman as an adult, because prior to this, it was Batman and Robin was the previous film. and in 97, though. 97, so I was 4, 13, 14. So this was my, in 2005, when Batman Begins come out. And by that point, I'd well and truly gotten back into my love for comic books and my love for superheroes. This was my first time seeing Batman as an adult. And not the first movie isn't my favourite. I think they get progressively better as we go through the trilogy. I will say that I think this is the greatest trilogy of movies ever made. When you think about movies like The Godfather and things like that, I still think that the Batman, the Nolan trilogy, to me, is a more complete trilogy, is a, is a more entertaining trilogy for me. And I'm a, I'm a very rare breed. Dark Knight Rises is actually my favourite of the three films. Um, I think. Oh, that's good to hear, Max. Batman Begins, gives us his origin, tells us who Batman is. It's a virtual rip of the Batman Year One, Frank Miller But, you know, there's a lot of liberties that have been taken with it, but that's the closest I think you can take for that first film. The Dark Knight really should just be called The Joker because it's Heath Ledger that makes that film. Unfortunately, the tragic news of his death after the film escalated its profile a lot more. Oscars, awards, things like this were always going to happen when that unfortunate situation happened but you can't take anything away that it is an amazing film my favorite incarnation of the joker i like jack nicholson but i think he fledges for me and again maybe because it was me seeing it as an adult but he's definitely my favorite and it was a great film but then the dark knight rises i think i liked it the most because it was the most comic booky film out of the three of them they're all three independent films the origin, Batman Begins, is coming-of-age journey film where he's trying to learn who he is. The Dark Knight is a straight-up thriller, Not quite a mystery whodunit, but it's a straight-up thriller. And The Dark Knight Rises is, is, for me, is a true comic book film. Every element in it, they seem to sneak in a lot more comic references. There's there's little bits where there's a conversation between the police where they, one of them just says to him off the cuff, "There's no crocodiles in the sewers." And to the average audience member, they might just think, oh, what are they talking about? But it's obviously a reference to Killer Croc. <laughs> and you didn't get that in either of the previous two films, I don't think. I think they were very structured in what the story they were trying to tell, whereas with Dark Knight Rises, it was almost like it was having a bit of fun. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character being called Robin wasn't delivered very well, but there was that. Ben Mendelsohn is today's go-to guy to be a villain. Ready Player One, Captain Marvel, Star Wars. But this was the first one I can think of where I saw him as a villain. And he was Dagger, who, to those that like the animated series, was mm. a villain in the animated series who, did he try and kill Catwoman, didn't he?
0: he poisoned oh, he did her, didn't so he? much shady stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah. But his character became nothing. Bane, you think, this gives you power over me. You know, he uh, breaks his neck and he's gone. So he didn't have a... But it was just giving him that name. He could have been called Bill Smith, and it would have still had the same impact on the film. But giving him, you know, a name that references back to the animated series, and I think that's that's what I liked the most about Rises, is, is every now and then there's a little bit like, oh, the Miranda suddenly gets announced, oh, I'm Talia al Ghul. Again, there's some plot holes, you know, it wasn't very well fleshed out, but for that reveal, to hear that name, it's like, oh, something else I recognise. Brilliant, outstanding, can't fault the trilogy. What I
2: like about that is you actually see him get out at the end as well. He actually, for once, gets his as near as you're going to get to a happy ending as well. He actually gets to leave that life behind, which is what Alfred wanted for him all along to begin with. He actually gets to stop being Batman at the end. He actually accomplishes his mission.
0: I have to touch on something you said for Dark Knight Rises, but that ties in with one of my two picks for the era. So I'll leave that for now, but great choices. And your second one?
1: 2015, Bill Finger. Bill Finger. Getting credited with being a Batman creator. Finally. I think it's, I mean, I don't know the man, I don't know the family, but from what I've read and what I've seen, someone that was that integral into the creation of arguably one of the biggest characters in the history of pop culture, to have never seen his name on the books, on the films, on the TV series, And unfortunately, never did get to see it because it didn't happen until he passed away. Doing a bit of research into this is interesting. He actually won an Eisner Award and was entered into the Eisner Hall of Fame. But again, neither until after he died. In his lifetime, he created this character that affected and touched so many people's lives and To him, he didn't get the credit that he deserved, so in 2015, when the decision was made to give him the credit, seeing his name on Batman v Superman as the first film, and it was Gotham season two was the first TV show to mention the words, Batman, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, was a great moment, I think, for his family.
0: People forget just how much he contributed, because Bob Kane drew the strip for the first few years, and... That visual, that look of Batman would always stick in people's minds. But a lot of people don't know that when Bob Kane created Batman, he had a mask which was a lot more like Robin's. He had blonde hair and his costume was bright red, but not exactly a figure of the night. Bill Finger was the one who said, no, no, make his costume black and gray. Bill Finger was the one who created the origin and the death of Bruce Wayne's parents. Bill Finger created the Joker. Bill Finger did everything that made Batman Batman. Bob Kane drew the strip, but because it was his idea and because he created the name and the character, he was credited as the creator for far too long. And while I respect Bob Kane and I love him, for me, Bill Finger is the true creator of everything that's really Batman. Max, what are your two choices for the last twenty years, mate?
2: Okay, so my uh, final two of the uh, show, and I'll try and whip them as best, quick as I can. I've got two different, very different ones here. Uh, The first one is the Batman Beyond animated series, which ran from 99 to 01, three seasons of it, it did in total. What I love about this show is it gave you something you hadn't properly seen before, and that was a knackered, past it, over the hill, no business being out in the field Batman. And that was in the first five minutes of the first episode, where you see him in what I would presume is maybe his late 50s, something like that, possibly even touching 60, out trying to rescue a hostage. In doing so, his heart starts to fail him. He's way past his prime. He's got no business being out there. He shouldn't be out there. He's gone on far too long in his desperation at being outmatched by some lackeys that in his prime, he would have dispatched quicker than a packet of white Martians. He gets bested by, in his desperation, pulls one of them's gun on him, which, as people would know, breaks yeah. Batman's rule number one, no guns. In doing that, he realises that he's too far gone, packs it all up, lives the rest of his life or intends to live the rest of his life out as a bitter old isolated recluse alfred's dead by this point and so he's just living in isolated way manner with his uh, trusted hound ace he flashed forward about 20 odd years and he's well in his 70s, maybe even 80 years old by this point, in a weird sort of future tech Gotham or Neo Gotham as it's referred to in the show. I'm not going to go over the potted history of the show because anyone who's listening to this will probably know it. By obviously his chance meeting and the mantle of the bat gets passed on to Terry McGuinness. A fresh spin on something and at the time it was telling you a tale that had already been told but just done slightly differently. It was a new, new touch on it. The futuristic setting, the language used in it, the The futuristic slang, which you see them bringing back in the flash with Shuei and things like that, and the TV show. This Batman Beyond, although the series is long gone, it's still going strong as a great comic book right now, which I know you're a fan of, Steve. It's as good as anything that's out there, Batman related, I think. And I'm talking about the current comic and the animated series. Is it as good as the 90s Batman series, that animated series that James picked earlier? No. Of course it isn't. It's it's not as good, because I don't think anything gets to be as good as that. But as a companion piece, continuing the story, if you will, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And it's well worth a watch if anyone's never seen it. Seek out the DVDs. It's only about 50 episodes, 52 episodes I think they made in total. You could watch it in a couple of weeks. It's really well worth a watch. Just a show that still holds up today, I think. It's every bit as good what do you guys think
1: the only question that i have i don't understand is why it's never been made into a live action version
2: i know really? yeah they could they could easily do it they could easily do it
1: and it would work
2: yeah it could work as a tv show as
1: well and in a, in a world of diversity anybody could be terry mcginnis you know it could be it could be a white man it could be a black man it could be a girl it could be anybody could realistically be that because it's an alternate, future, different Batman. It's not Bruce Wayne. It could be could be anything. I'm surprised it's never been done.
0: Well, in the movies, it could be. But in, in the cartoon, it was eventually revealed that he was uh, a descendant of Bruce Wayne. But that, that can be retconned. And I was saying, I was, I'm praying that they do bring that series back. First of all, on Blu-ray, I want the whole series on Blu-ray like they did with Batman, the animated series. But everyone's talking about having Keaton playing the aged Bruce Wayne and stuff. Personally, I'd prefer it if it was Kevin Conroy to tie it all together and he's uh, he, he'd be perfect for the voice and everything else. Yeah, Batman Beyond. It, it, it's it's the one show where I actually didn't mind someone other than Bruce Wayne being Batman. I, I loved it.
2: Oh, that was brilliant. Well, you still get your Bruce Wayne, of course, in the show. Yeah. Um, he becomes
0: Alfred in a way, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. It's, it's showing you what it's like the story after the story, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's you know it's it's a great great watch. I I happily sit and rewatch it. In fact, I think I might do that
1: very soon. What's your second choice then, Max?
2: My second and, and final choice is the. It's a comic book run from twenty eleven. It's the Flashpoint story, which very good. Ostensibly, it's not a Batman story because the Flash is your centerpiece character of this arc, but it has to be mentioned just for the. Very, very different portrayal of Batman. Again, not going to delve into what the whole Flashpoint story is and how it comes about because we don't have the time and people will already know it. But you get this alternate reality, this altered reality as a result of something that Barry Allen does to change the past, which changes the course of history. And in this alternate reality, when the Wayne murders take place, it's unfortunately the child, Bruce Wayne, that gets killed. And Thomas and Martha survive. And what that leads to is Martha is driven insane as a result of the trauma of having her uh, child murdered in front of her eyes. She becomes that reality's version of the Joker, and Thomas becomes the Batman. You still have a world with Batman in it, but it's Thomas Wayne, not Bruce Wayne. The character. His version of Batman couldn't be any more different from the Bruce Wayne. He's murderous. He carries guns. He's an unpleasant person, a very bitter man, as you would be from losing your son and your wife, becoming your arch nemesis, psychopathic arch villain. It's a world where everything's gone wrong. Superman isn't in the public because his rocket. Landed in the centre of Metropolis rather than in Smallville and he was immediately abducted by the government and he's never seen the light of day. The Atlanteans and the um, Amazons are at war. Uh, World War Three is about to happen. The world's going to end. Everything's going wrong. And in the middle of it, you have this hardened, bitter, old man as batman the costume is monstrous the gray costume with the red eyes um, still to this day looks great what is brilliant is this character has been brought back they brought this back in the crossover stuff they did probably about a year ago would you say now steve the um, button. yeah the, the button was about probably about a year ago wasn't it Um where they went back into that reality and bruce actually got to meet thomas batman met batman's son met father and they've obviously they've brought Thomas somehow is back again in this reality, but it's not been explained yet if he is actually real or or what. They've been teasing us for weeks now. So it's just a very different portrayal of Batman from what's ever been done before. It's one of my favourites. It's really one of my absolute favourite, well, favourite story lines and uh, runs as pretty much anything Jeff Johns writes tends to be one of my instant favourites it's just a version of Batman that has never been done never will be done again brilliant to read I love alternate world else world stuff presumably both of you guys have read Flashpoint yes, and yeah.
1: the
0: animated movie as well
1: yeah. oh yeah and
2: of course yeah the Flashpoint Paradox it was one of the best actually animated movies I think
1: this spawned the new 52 didn't it The it the, sure did yeah the final conclusion to it spawned the, uh, the rebranding of DC and the new 52 line which then got replaced a few years later with Rebirth, but that's a different fat matter, isn't it? Yeah, that's, so
2: you, a, that's a whole other conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. so your two favourite parts from the last 20 year were non-Bruce Wayne related Batman stories. Exactly. That shows the versatility it, it, of Batman. It, it, just, does, you know. it does. So what were yours then, Steve, your final two for this last 20 year period?
0: Well, like I said, the, the first one ties in great. I mean, this is—it's it's like a picture perfect time to your saying that Dark Knight Rises is your favorite because even though the story started uh, in '98, it ended in 2000, so it does qualify as the last 20 years. And I'm going to talk about No Man's Land because that was roughly adapted in Dark Knight Rises when Gotham City is cut off from the rest of America, rest of the world, and and is the bridge, the state. yeah. Absolutely. And it's still having repercussions now. It's uh, being adapted partially along with zero year in the final season of Gotham. And when you see a city that no longer has the backup and support of its government, where it's gone back to a feudal state and people are bartering, money means nothing anymore. That also uh, allegedly... according to comic book um, law, is one of the big inspirations behind Robert Kirkman's Walking Dead as well, where he said, well, how would society be if that happened, if technology failed us and if people went back to bartering and trading and having to live off the land and technology and everything that all the great it brought with it was gone and seeing batman in this world where gangs rule and police are fighting for territory and land and everything else it was just another completely different take on batman he was in a lawless world the fact that that story still got legs 20 years later it just shows what a brilliant brilliant idea it was
2: I love it when they have those story arcs that go on for months and months and months, you know, rather than a six issue, wrap it up in six issue arc, seven issue arc, and there you go, there's a nice tray paperback of it. I love it when they drag it out for a long time, a slow
1: burner like that. Huge storylines over. I don't know how many issues all of them would have covered. but
0: Well, No Man's Land alone was 98 to 2000. Cataclysm ran for about six months to a year, I think. Legacy was six issues. And then you had the earthquake, the aftershocks, then No Man's Land. So overall, from the beginning of Contagion, it was a good almost, that's been four or five years but it, they all stand alone as well but when you read them together it's like the greatest TV show I've ever made, it's like nine seasons of The Walking Dead, it's just awesome.
1: So Steve, final pick for our 80 years <laughs> Batman roundup. Yeah. take us home we've,
0: we've gone full circle, 80 years of Batman, a comic I reviewed a couple of days back and everyone's been so, so kind about the review because I actually thought it ran away with me and thought oh my god, I've I've written a bloody book not a review here but i had to talk about detective 1000 because it respects the 80 years that went before it tips its hat to them it's a love letter to batman fans but it also with two stories the first story and the last story starts setting the next 80 years in motion a detectives guild uh, all dc's greatest detectives as a team uh, seeing batman as a detective following clues, solving crimes. That's something we need to see in the movies, and it looks like Matt Reed is going to do that. And, of course, at the end, uh, slight spoilers, a very famous and well-loved video game character is becoming a comic book canon. Obviously, it's not the same person underneath the mask, but we are seeing the comic be, version. It? Yeah. Uh Who's that going to be? We are going to see a comic Knight. version of the Arkham Knight. Yes, he's I'm here. I'm so happy
1: about that. I love them ah. games. And I nearly picked them in here as one of my uh, choices, but I couldn't quite fit it in. But seeing Arkham Knight on that final page, on that final panel, I messaged you straight away, didn't I? Saying, have you read see it yet? Me? I need to... I need yeah. to talk to someone, I need to know what's going on. Yeah. But we so we know it's not Jason Todd, but that's all we know, is it?
0: Peter Tomasi, the writer, has said it's not the same Arkham Knight as in the games. He didn't say it's not Jason Todd per se, but he said it's not the same Arkham Knight as in the games. But it's mm-hmm. someone with a connection and with a genuine gripe. So oh, I can't wait to find out because this is this this writer is serious. This is a former editor for DC Comics who has become one of their greatest writers. His run on Batman and Robin for the New 52 was stellar. His Superman run for the Rebirth was amazing. And having him back on Batman and Detective Comics, I am as excited as hell.
2: Two questions for you, Steve. Who, hmm. do, you think it, who do you think it is? And secondly... What was in the book that Batman looks at in shock in the detective's guild?
0: Well, th- those are the questions. I mean, I've got so many theories running around my head. Cause you know me, I'm like Mr. Make it up as you go along. And half the time I'm right. But I honestly think that in the book is a case, maybe not even from Batman's past, but something that that's really grabbed Batman's attention as a detective and something he wants to solve. Or, finally there's a clue to something in his own past that it might even lead to who the arkham knight is in the other story i mean i i don't know i'm baffled as to who the arkham knight is well yeah when james tynan left detective comics he didn't reveal who the first victim was so someone from batman's very very early days someone from Detective Comics 27 to 40. I don't know. It could be anyone.
1: In the game, Arkham Knight, when you get about midway through the story, you first discover who the Arkham Knight is, and it's Slade Wilson. And then later on, you discover it's not Slade Wilson. It's all part of a uh, scarecrow, poison, hallucination type thing. And, they're double-crossing and they're working together. But at first, you first think it's actually Slade Wilson. Or, well, I don't think they call him Slade, they just call him Deathstroke. You first believe it's Deathstroke, and then it's not till the end that it's revealed that it's Jason Todd. So it'd be interesting if it's something along those lines.
0: It's like the reverse of Hush, where Hush, when you first takes the bandages off, it's Jason Todd. But then that's Clayface and it turns out to be Tommy, his old friend all along. Yeah. But then Jason Todd was actually there and that's led to the return of Jason Todd's character and then discovering that he'd been brought back from the dead and his old redemption arc from being Batman's sidekick to being Batman's enemy and then being brought back into the family. So Arkham oh, I could be anybody and that's what excites me. So, we talked to a lot of guys out on Twitter and asked you for your favourite moments from Batman over the last 80 years, be it comics, TV, movies. And we had some really great answers. First of all, from Earth9 at Earth9DC, they've told us, Can we just give the entire Batman Returns movie as an answer? Everything just works so well and makes it a movie you can rewatch and never get bored of. Plus, Michael Keaton still stands a relatively unbeatable. With his portrayal of Batman almost 30 years on. Oh, and Pfeiffer. Can't argue with any of that. Michael Keaton, Michelle Pfeiffer, the whole uh, cast and crew, that film really delivered. It's still one of my all-time favourite Batman movies. So, uh, nice job, Earth-9. I don't know if that was Jim or Rob or one of the other gang members there. But, yeah, like that a lot. Claire Payne at Gothamite Claire says... Probably the moment when I discovered the making of the movie Batman 89 book in Asda. I was fascinated. Batman Returns is my favourite Bat film on so many levels, but Ben Affleck and Bruce Wayne was exceptional, and I love how he respected Diana Prince in Justice League. She goes on to say, The way that Bruce Wayne reacted when Alfred Jeremy Irons implied that Superman was more human than him, even though Superman is an alien. Yeah, all really great moments. Um, When the penny dropped that superman wasn't the enemy is is also a great great moment for me in batman versus superman when you realize that yes he might have all the powers but this is a guy raised on a farm in kansas with a human mum so yep outstanding great answer there from claire darren yorkie bat fan hackett um whose uh, tag is is just one of my favorites at true yorkie pud a nice one has come well, he's gone right back to the beginning. Uh, Year Two Fear the Reaper. Brilliant story by uh, Todd McFarlane and, uh, Alan Davis and others. He says, uh, Year Two Fear the Reaper having to partner with his parents' murderer to find and stop the Reaper while constantly wrestling the urge to break his number one rule. Fantastic read and a very underrated story. Yeah, a lot of people talk about Batman Year One, but a lot of them also forget Batman Year Two, which for me, uh, With Alan Davis' first chapter, which he left the rest of the series uh, under controversy because of the drawing of of the gun that killed Bruce Wayne's parents, believe it or not. But that's a different story. The Year 2 story is is great. The Reaper's a fantastic villain. And seeing Bruce Wayne team up with Joe Chill, his parents' murderer, it was deep. Really good stuff. And then Todd McFarlane finished the story. Genius artist. What more can I say? He then went on to make McFarlane toys and create Spawn and all other really cool stuff Darren also says the warehouse scene from Batman vs Superman the whole of Batman 89 and the movie The Dark Knight the ending of Dark Knight Return rises which personally I thought was brilliant great comments there obviously there's a ton of Bat love we're not the only members of the Bat family so thanks to all our Twitter followers and uh, yeah great answers all and now It's competition time.
1: Making these podcasts would be nothing without having someone to listen to them. So, thank you to everyone that's taken a chance on us and subscribed. As a thank you, we're giving you all an opportunity to win a fantastic prize. Our sponsor for this podcast and Good Friends ComicBids.com are a mail order company specializing in vintage and new comic books and pop culture merchandise and have been bringing comics to your door since 1988. They are offering one lucky listener the opportunity to win a free physical copy of Detective Number 1000 with the amazing jock variant cover. To win this, all you need to do is go to our Twitter page, at Pending Hashtag, and follow the instructions on our pinned tweet. For all your comic book needs, you can go to comic-biz.com, which is currently having a facelift, but you can still find everything you need at their eBay page. They have some fantastic offers like buy any five comics and get 20% off. They also have a five star service, which means you'll never miss an issue again. For more information of this, you can email the team at comicbiz1 at aol.com. You can also find them on Twitter at comicbizstore, where you'll get regular updates on what's new and hot, along with some great giveaways and competitions. Comicbiz always on your side. Finally, we're offering a free Mystery Funko Pop to one lucky listener. This is an exclusive prize that can only be won by listening to this podcast. To be with a chance, what you need to do is give us a five-star review on iTunes, and we will pick one lucky winner who will be announced on the next episode. This will really help get our podcast out to a wider audience, and will be greatly appreciated from all of us at Fantastic Universes. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the first Fantastic Universes podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we've enjoyed recording it. For all our views, reviews, news, information, you can go to fantasticuniverses.com where you can find myself. I'm James Stone. I'm at StoneJ666 on Twitter. We've also got Max. Tell us who you are, Max. You can find me on Twitter at Max EBurn, which is
2: M-A-X-Y-B-Y-R-N-E.
1: Thank you, uh, Editor-in-Chief. Steve, give us the final goodbye.
2: You can see a ton of
1: my stuff, of course,
0: on Fantastic Universes, which is our site. Just Google search Steve J. Ray to find the damage I've inflicted on the poor old internet over the last 10 years as well. And you can catch me on Twitter at E-L underscore steevol And you can catch all three of us of Fantastic Universes on Twitter at pending hashtag And thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Fantastic Universes podcast. Produced by Steve Ray. Edited and mixed by James Stone. All music by Professor Elemental. You can find out more at professorelemental.com. Or at tcrecords.com. That's T-E-A-S-E-A-Records.com. The Fantastic Universe's podcast will return.